If you know a person who you suspect is a victim of gender-based violence, the, the most important thing is, is unconditional love and support. Mm. Mm. It's to say, hey, you know, if you need me for whatever, I'm yeah, you know. Mm. Mm. Not not implying that that, there's, that the person is mentally retarded for being in an abusive relationship. Mm. You know, that's that's not that doesn't help. Mm. You know, uh, and and also don't don't be treat a person like that as if you know you've got pity. Mm. Just 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 say, hey, I'm your friend. Yeah. I'm your friend. Whenever you need to talk, please know that I'm here. Mm. Um, I, I'm here to listen. I'm not here to judge. Hey everyone, welcome to the RLT podcast where we share some real life tools, tips and tricks to help you not only discover, but also reach your ultimate goals. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Real Life Tips podcast, episode number 41. I'm your host, Mono. You're joined by Leon as usual. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful week. This is going to be one of our best episodes so far. Uh, we're finally, finally going to break the ice and we've invited a very special guest yeah. to our 41st episode. So yeah, we're now naughty 40s now, man. And I think <laughs> it's uh, it's been a very rough ride so far. We've really enjoyed it. I think the episodes are really churning out quite nicely at this point in time. Um, but I've I've never been as nervously excited as for tonight. Absolutely. This is one of our first episodes where we will have a guest speaker on tonight. And um, the topic that we're going to be discussing is quite a serious matter. And when I heard all the information that I didn't know about this topic, I thought it is best that we actually do this episode and get this information out there so that hopefully, you know, we can help people and also just shed some light on something that I think is quite biased. And I think it's maybe a little bit very much stereotyped depending on how you look at it um so tonight we're going to get a lot of insight on a very difficult matter yeah leon i think it's going to be exciting tonight because it's literally as you mentioned the first time that we had to reach outside of you know the the research and studies that we can come across that we can go and hunt down and really pull in a subject matter expert on this because it is a serious topic but at the same time it's also a topic that's very very close to my heart uh one of those ones that we can all share experiences. We've all encountered people in the past regarding this specific topic, which is gender-based violence and specifically also touching a little bit more on domestic violence. So tonight we have none other than Professor Davis from the University of Johannesburg. And Professor Davis's main objective in life actually resonates and it intertwines quite nicely with you know, what we want to achieve with this show, right? So with that being said, Professor Davis, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's an absolute pleasure having you here because I know that you're, you're highly focused on gender-based violence. I know that you're involved in so many different studies. You're a lecturer. Tell us a little bit more about Professor Davis and who you are and what it is that your main focus area is, is on. Okay, well... Uh, let's start with the lecturer parts. Um, I am a lecturer in strategic communication, which is not quite the space where you would expect to find the topic of gender-based violence, because mm-hmm. at the moment, it's not featuring in organizational journals, business, or strategic journals. It's not even listed in corporate social responsibility indices or um, even corporate social investment. You won't see it on the ESG criteria. So, you know, it's kind of, oh, that's odd that we would be addressing gender-based violence in strategic communication. But that's exactly Mm. 
what we need to do. In 2013, let me tell you what was my, my life-changing moment. My students in my third year were tasked to do a strategic conceptualization for an NGO at the time, Matla Abana, and they had to come up with a cam- campaigns for this organization to, to reach out to communities. And this NGO worked with child rape and secondary abuse. So mm-hmm. at that time, um, I didn't have a real vast knowledge about gender-based violence. You know, I was a strategic communication lecturer and I was teaching my students how to develop strategy and, you know, engage with mm-hmm. audiences. So, so that was the project. So here I had 254 students and um, and they met the, the client and the police came in, the Family Violence and Sexual Offence Unit. I'll never forget that day. Mm-hmm. So they walked into this lecture venue and here they come and they brief the students about the work and, you know, our students are and they listened. And then this group of students went all out, eh? They mm-hmm. went all out. They didn't go and do, you know, students, you know, they leave something till the day before it's due and then they scramble yeah. and, you know, they're going to put it <laughs> and then they kind of, not this class, eh? Yeah. They went all out. Some of them did 100 interviews, the group, and they, they went and they reached out to stakeholders I never even thought about. They engaged with school teachers and lawyers and NGOs and schools and I just couldn't understand the excitement about doing a a school, a a diversity project. I mean, I thought, what was possessing these students to be so enthused? And then then came the day when they had to present their campaigns, okay? Mm. And and, and it was a moving moment because they wrote manifestos. They wrote... Mm. You know, and, I, and and I sat there crying for for the work they've done. Now they engrossed themselves, and it came out. One mm. after the other came forward. I was raped when I was five. I was raped when I was oh, seven. Goodness. I was finished. I was wow. finished. And on that day, I decided I am becoming a gender-based violence activist. Wow, that is an excellent story. And since then. In terms of the sustainability, uh, the way that this, the, the field of strategic communication has evolved, gender-based violence is part of the global sustainability objectives, even if it's a sadly hidden. If you look at global sustainability objective five, which is about equality, then within that, it refers to the elimination of everything that prohibits or perpetuates inequality, which is, of course, gender-based violence. So to give you a little, okay, so so that was the background. So anyway, the students at the project, yeah. one of the groups won the Amasa Gold Ignite Award. And wow. their campaign wow. was called Child Rape Does Not Exist Unless We Talk About It. So, mm. so from there, yeah. it sparked my career. So I made it mm. my business. Uh, I then facilitated and hosted several events, um, we had the SAPS units come in to engage with students. We had several um, um, opportunities to, to talk about the subject. I've been on um, uh, South African um, television a few times about the topic. Uh, we hosted workshops for students. The mayor's office was present. So it started kind of escalating the work. And, and I rang this aside with my normal, normal, nothing is normal, um, my my curriculum that I do, I always just bring it in in class. So when I when I engage with my learners, new classes, I always tell them I'm a gender-based violence activist. I always give my students the facts about the subject, even if it's not what we're talking about. I mm. always inform them about it. So they know me. So 
Over the years, obviously, I've also become a go-to place for students. So students who have gone through experiences of, would have come and spoke, spoke to me. I would have supported them. Um, I would have been in contact with other lecturers, made special arrangements for them to cope, so make sure they go to SciCat. So, and then I became part of bodies at UJ, um, committees. Uh, I work with the transformation units a lot. Um, in 2019, we started endorsing the It's Not Okay campaign. Brilliant campaign also endorsed by Train and JC Dakao. You'll see it on, on the billboards. Um, and then obviously I worked with Tears Foundation. I'm a staunch supporter um, and advisory to them. So, uh, so is, you're actively involved in each and every aspect. And you basically, this is this is quite interesting, Professor Davis, because, I mean, you're a teacher. Well, I mean, teachers yep. downplaying what you're doing as a profession, but effectively you teach others and you, you really took that opportunity. And it it's almost like you're, the stars aligned and somehow your passion found you. Am I correct in saying Absolutely, that? Absolutely. It's, it's because like you didn't prepare yourself for this. No. And all of a sudden, you know, you were presented with this opportunity and you instantly had to, you just felt it and you felt drawn to it. I'm yeah. absolutely passionate about it. And that is what my students know because yeah. I'm not just their lecturer. I mean, if I show you the the, the letters they write me or, or my evaluations they do, they, they all refer yeah. to me as their campus mother, you know. And I am old enough, by the way, to be their mother. <laughs> <laughs> So that's very interesting. Um, I was actually thinking just when you were, uh, you know, as you spoke about that, you mentioned that, you know, even within um, government level and so on, gender-based violence as such is a is almost like a hidden topic, even within, you know, the way that uh, maybe different genders treat each other in just general communication. So to maybe start this off, can you give us a breakdown of what is it that we what is gender-based violence? Because obviously I think we, we see the media version of it and I think it goes mm. way deeper than that. Let me tell you a story. I grew up in a small town in the Eastern Cape called Utenaik. And I grew mm. up in a very um, white Afrikaans family that was very isolated. I mean, Utenaik is, mm. you know, you know, Utenaik is the middle of nowhere. I mean, mm -hmm. not... Eitenhage for Eitenhage. our Afrikaans Eiten... listeners. Yes, Eitenhage. All seven of them. Okay, yeah. So, so in that, in that environment, um, I grew up in a, in, a, in a home where my father was emotionally, psychologically, and verbally abusive. He had a violent temper. So... I grew up with this understanding that children had to be seen and not heard. And I was petrified of my father. Um, he was not the kind of man on whose lap you would sit or who would be affectionate in any way, you know. Mm. It, it, and, and, and I had to witness my mother being um, treated as a servant, you know. She, a coffee had mm. to be ready when he got home and dinner had to be cooked at a certain time in a certain way and there would be no hesitation to humiliate her in front of, anybody who would listen if something was not to his liking so and was that, that was that more normalized back then yeah, did you see that frequently yes. or was it just your family no it what well you were basically limited to your family because your life consisted of going to school and going to church and visiting the family that was your entire mm -hmm. life you know and if you're lucky you got to the library but under those circumstances that kind of behavior was condoned. Nobody in my family ever mm, exactly. spoke out to my father and said, hey, how are you treating your wife and children? It's not okay. Nobody said that. Mm. 
And yeah. I don't Good. believe that that um, that people realize to what extent they cultivate unacceptable behavior mm. by yes. not speaking out about it. So nobody spoke out about it. Um, and, and, and that was just a norm. My father was the only son. His sisters made him be, believe he could walk on water or clouds or whatever. And he felt quite entitled that, that he had to be served and obeyed and deified. Although he was a blue-collar worker who did not even have a matric certificate, worked in, a, in the South African railways. I mean, I, we mm. come from humble means. My mm. mother also mm. had a standard eight. She was a secretary, had a full-time job. And so we, we kept, I come from humble beginnings, but that didn't prevent my father from feeling entitled. So what we're saying is, you know, there's always this interesting topic when people speak about gender-based violence that they think that it's a, it's a, it's a poor, uh, undereducated problem. And it probably comes from there, but that, that sense of entitlement doesn't limit mm. itself to to uh, uh, highly qualified and, and people who's got money and wealth. The entitlement even came with this humble upbringing that I came from, that mm-hmm. my father felt entitled, you know, as if he, yeah. the world owed him something. And did you grow up with uh, siblings? Was there any brothers? Yes, I had an older sister and a younger brother. My mother passed away in a car accident when we were 14. Uh, my brother and I'm sister sorry. were in the car. I nearly died in the same car accident. And why I'm telling you this is that when my mother died, my father became even more abusive. So mm. it got to the point where um, he would have fits of rage about all sorts of things. And he would mm. go through the house with a gun and threaten to shoot us. Mm. You know, so you had to, you have little children, lost mother. I mean, I lost my memory for months. I was severely injured in the accident. Petrified children with a lunatic um, running around with a gun threatening to shoot us. Now, that's domestic violence. But I didn't know at the time what was gender-based violence and that this was domestic mm. violence. There was no family who was going to help me. The, by that time, the family left and everybody was too scared of my father to say anything. Because remember, he was now, uh, I don't know, he, he, he mm. was entitled. So nobody would take him on. And having a brother, and and having a brother there, um, did that? Uh, you can choose whether or not you want to answer this, but did that rub off on him? Did that set a bit no. bad example he, from he, the same he, gender to the same gender, or he couldn't be bothered about my little brother? Is what I'm saying. Is um, and, and now you're looking at a normal in quotation marks family that looks like the ordinary church going family in Utenake in the Eastern Cape. But my brother was abandoned. I mean, I left home as soon as I could, came to Johannesburg to study. Mm. My little brother stayed behind in that house of horrors. Um, Mm. I went to fetch him, to put him through school. So it was that kind of story that happened. But what I'm saying is that long-term outcome, my brother passed away um, two years ago. Um, I'm sorry. He started having epileptic fits and, mm. um, you know, had a lot of health oh. issues. Um, but it's, it's all a result of trauma. So when I'm saying it is tragic, if we don't enable today's generation to speak, to recognize what is gender-based violence, that is yeah. actually where we got to, Leon. We were we're trying to say, let's define it. And that's why I told my story. Um, I'm, I, I have come a long way and I've educated myself and I've done my degrees and I've but done my PhD. And, but what I'm saying, it came against the odds. Mm-hmm. It could have been so much easier 
Hmm. Um, and, and it's not to say that everybody has that determination. So these kind of circumstances where children grow up in an abusive environment is a, a tremendous handicap to face hmm. and compete against the rest of the world or other people in the world who've had more fortunate circumstances. But the reality is, if you are a South African, you are either a victim or perpetrator of gender-based violence, or you are related to a victim or perpetrator, or you are acquainted with a victim or perpetrator. People are mm, not correct. isolated or ever. So it is not like we can pretend that the South Africans don't know or haven't experienced it. Absolutely. And I think it's so interesting that you mentioned that, Professor Davis, because... And, and I want to understand this a little bit deeper because we're talking about gender-based violence, but what does that entail? Is there a specific breakdown? Because the, the way that I used to sort of perceive gender-based violence before I started talking to you about this topic, um, you know, even a couple of months ago, is I used to see it as you know, basically directed more domestic towards violence. women, domestic <laughs> violence directed more towards women. But Am I perceiving it incorrectly? Is there a different sort of um, you know, different categories of gender-based violence? Because I know that there's obviously domestic violence. Um, this probably, I would assume, goes both ways, men and women. Yes. Let me, let me give you an idea. It's mostly women. Globally, it's mostly violence against women and children. But it's not limited to that. There are various kinds. Your most common type of gender-based violence is intimate partner violence. That, mm. uh, that is the intimate relationship between partners, which we know these days with gender diversity, we don't always have cisgender, cis male and cis female. I mean, mm -hmm. we've got a whole range of gender identities, but typically we're thinking of intimate partners typically being male and female. Mm -hmm. um, in, in a relationship. These days it can be male, male, female, female, um, a, a transgender, we, we accommodate that, but it's in an intimate relationship is where the violence happens. There are incidences that I know of where men are being abused as well. So it's, it's so it is, does so, occur. So it's usually the like the matriarch in the in the relationship would be the abuser. I'm, I'm, I know we're generalizing now, but it would be where, you know, the dominant figure, so to say. Because that's exactly, that's exactly what you just mentioned, I think. And, and that's probably what you're getting at, Leanne, is because when you told your story, Professor, um, you spoke a lot about entitlement and how your father was yeah. this entitled being. Um, does that sort of hold true in other relationships? The dominant one is typically the one who is then uh, or the entitled the one is typically yeah. yeah the perpetrator. It's it's typically you you're also dealing with an ideology of patriarchy, okay, mm -hmm. which, which which streams from various sources. One of them, for example, being religion. Oh yes, where people Can abuse imagine. content to say you must honor and obey. Mm -hmm. You know that that, that that women are subordinate. Mm -hmm. That the but while patriarchy was created as a good thing, you know, like in the, the man taking care of his family, that it's been twisted yes. to say the man will demand servitude and obedience and, uh, and rights. Mm. Um, you know, I always say, I mean, you know, the, the concept of entitlement where, where men assume that sex is a human right. Mm -hmm. Sex is not a human right. Who you want to have sex with is a mm. human right. True. But sex itself is not a human Absolutely. right. So men have that thing that, that women are, you know, they call it conjugal rights. Mm. 
um, mm. uh, where, where they feel that's entitled. So because you now got a wedding ring on, it means that you must just be uh, consenting to sex whenever it's mm. in demand. Mm. Yeah, I think I think doesn't that date back to to our primitive years when men were sort of seen as the um, you're the hunters and and the, the the, your women were seen as the gatherers and the servants in to some extent. Um, isn't that sort of you know, something that we we didn't outgrow with evolution and a lot of those traces we can still find in in today's society? Do you th- do you think that that's Ab- sort of absolutely? Let me tell you something else that's shocking. You mm. know, people think we live in a civilized society, right? Mm-hmm. To this day, today you can go online and look for it on Human Rights Watch. There are 39,000 little girls, younger than 18, average age 14, being legally married off on a daily basis. Legally. Dowries paid. They call it in the name of their religion. Child marriage. Just Google it. Child marriage. You'll fall over. Mm. That is legal. Wow. I mean, we don't have so much of that in South Africa. I mean, the, the phenomenon is called ukutwala, mm-hmm. um, but that is not as common. It's more, you know. And do you think those kind of um, almost isolated cases, even though that's a, an, an alarming figure, you can hardly call it isolated, but it is probably quite isolated taken in consideration to the whole world. Is that very much a local, um, you know, almost like a young age brainwashing that's happened there from a religious point of view, the way that things no, just it's are? Happening. Those things, those, the child marriages happen usually in very poor countries mm. where they pay dowries. So it's normally, you know, middle aged older men who, who buy the child brides. Wow. It's terrible. So it's, well, I say they don't call it buy, they say call it dowry, but I mean, it's what it is. Mm. And that, that's quite fascinating, Professor, because, and, and I'm glad that you're touching on some statistics here because I'm really interested at seeing uh, or just hearing some more statistics from you in terms of specifically switching over to maybe domestic violence, because this is something that, again, I think is close to my heart. I feel that a lot of people that I've come into close contact with in the past have been in situations where they've been in abusive relationships and they don't necessarily know what to do in that regard. Mm. Now, is there, and, and, and I'm going to divide this question maybe up into two different parts. In, on average, what does that statistics look like? And is there some sort of misconception around this and how, how frequent this actually does occur in general prior to the pandemic? And then the second part of my question is perhaps, did we see a change or a spike in those numbers during the pandemic? Did the pandemic play a massive role in that? Okay, let me tell you the average statistic is one out of three women. Okay, sure. look, the wow. focus we know we know men in the picture, and we'll get to that just mm. now. But typically, it's still uh, violence against mm. women and children, as we said. So t- your your average number is one out of three women experience some kind of gender-based violence in their lifetime. The statistics also say that if you experience it during your childhood. Um, you're likely to be a victim or a perpetrator in adulthood. If you're a boy, more likely to be a perpetrator. If you're a girl, more likely to be a victim. And I can affirm that. When I was married for the first time, it, I, w- I married a violently abusive man. Mm. He was a bodybuilder, so he mm. was physically violent. Mm. Kick, break, verbal abuse, emotional, psychological abuse, gaslighting, all of that. And what you're, and what you're saying is to the opposite of that, if you were... Uh, abused as 
as a young boy, you're very likely to become a perpetrator. Did I understand very you correctly? Very likely, very likely wow. um, that it cultivates. Because remember something else also. Mm. There's a lot of anger going around. Do you know yeah. South Africa is number 103 on the World Happiness Index? <laughs> you know that we've got some of the highest divorce rates. And if you look at the SADAC website, South African Depression and Anxiety Group, mm. look at the state of anxiety and depression among South African um, people. Um, so, so there's a lot of anger. So if you grow up subjected to violence and abuse, mm. I mean, where's the outlet for that? Because remember, children can't talk about it. Mm. You must be seen and not heard. How, if you dare, do you take a chance mm. to say something to a teacher or anybody else, what he will do to you when you get home? Mm. Wow. So, so it's silence. Mm. So there's this pent up anger, resentment, hatred even. So what happens to that? Mm. It doesn't go away because it's in there. Mm. Um, it hasn't had an outlet. I suppose, I suppose if, you, if you didn't have a good moral support system when you underwent a lot of this, this um, suffering or this abuse as a child, then obviously that didn't help you to or guide you to deal with that better. Absolutely not. So if, here's the fact. If you had an abusive childhood, you have to do a, a, a self-therapy. You, mm -hmm. you, you've got to get into the acknowledgement. Okay, I've been a victim of, of child abuse of X, Y, and Z kind. This means that I need to pay attention to my subconscious mind because I know all that stuff is in there. Yeah. Because your personality is formed by the age of seven. Mm -hmm. So whatever informed that is going to become subconscious patterns that if you don't start analyze and, and, and become aware of it, um, where is it going to go to? It's, it's going to shape your behavior. Hmm. It's going it's to shape the choices you make. It's going to shape the friends that you, that you choose in your life. Mm. I, was, I was actually going to ask as well, especially now Marnie mentioned uh, with regards to the pandemic we've all seen some very freaky um, and, and unfortunate statistics about the increase in gender-based violence specifically domestic violence because of or due to um, you know the lockdown and the situation of being around your people a lot more um, all the time there's no escape you can't go to the office exactly there's no outlet you're trapped with the with the perpetrator of the violence then you had the alcohol ban i mean mm. you know south africans are heavy drinkers <laughs> you cut people off from alcohol you even cut them off from cigarettes i mean it, it was just a disaster yeah. with nowhere to go children having to do homeschooling all contained in one place yeah. tempers would have fled but but i just want to point something else out to you that most cases of gender-based violence are never reported. Oh, More than 90% of cases are never reported. So you can't rely on statistics because it's underreported. Mm. It's, it's, mm. uh, it, it's very few people who actually get as far as to go to the police station and lay a charge. And there's a skepticism about that. People don't trust the police. I want to actually touch on that. Um, that was going to be my next question. If we're already hitting at around one out of three women get um, abused, and we're saying that many of them never even reported, and I think we all understand that, you know, it takes a lot of courage to report this. Why is it... What, why is it that so little of this gets reported? Is it because they feel ridiculed? Um, 
or is it the way that the police handles it? It's all of the above. It's complicated. Firstly, it is an issue to get cases reported at the police. We know that we're under-resourced, number one. Okay. Number two, if there are children involved, and it depends yeah. on what the situation yeah. is, it's, it's the, the, the higher up the hierarchy, the more difficult to report. For example, if you've got children going to a school, for example, that's maybe a private school, which a lot of people go to, um, women can't afford they can't afford for their children to be exposed. Mm. They don't want school teachers to know mm. and children to be humiliated at school. Mm-hmm. Even if it's, say, an average school, it's not a private school, it's still a government school that the children are in. It's always about the interests of the children. So a mother isn't going to flee and go to a shelter mm. if it means taking the children out of school mm. and provide for them how. What is the solution then? So, so I think my question would then also be, um, if a lady would like to report um, a case of domestic violence against her significant other, what does she stand to gain? Does it mean that they will immediately come in and remove her from the situation? No. or Because <laughs> if there's not much to gain, then I also understand that, you know, most women would probably just try and get out of it quietly with help of hopefully family or something instead of... Correct. So that's also why it's probably underreported because Correct. there's not that much to gain from reporting it. Correct. You've got to go through the process. Mm. The same the same issue uh, if you're going to report uh, child rape. Oh, okay. That child yeah. goes home to the same home as the perpetrator. So, yeah. So is that something that... Like, obviously, that's the process at the moment. But do you know if this is something that we're addressing in South Africa specifically? Um, are we working on improving that process? Is there Are there plans for, yes. for, for improving it? Yes. There is a national strategic plan. There are six pillars. I'm a member of Pillar 6, which deals with research and innovation. There is a long-term plan going forward to address all of these issues, Mm. but it's going to take time. Mm. But in the meantime, I think what is most important is is to start Mm. at the less extreme side where we know we end up in femicide, Mm. we know we end up with child abuse and all of these things. Let's start looking at being aware in the present moment, where are you at in your own life and your relationship that we can get into a preventative state mm. where we can say, let's educate your listeners to say, how do I recognize if I am in an abusive relationship? Mm. Mm. See the signs and even see it in yourself. Have you got a violent temper? So, so are there are there some some signs that you can share with us? And I know you know you, you just touched on having yes. a violent temper, but what what do we look out for? I was just going to say, yeah, what <laughs> what are those immediate okay. telltales? It's unavoidable that if you have been exposed to violence in your childhood, that you experience trauma. Mm-hmm. Trauma leads to addiction. Mm-hmm. So that can mean cigarettes, it can mean alcohol, it can mean drugs. Now, apparently, weed's legal, so that's not so bad. <laughs> it can be heavier drugs, it can be food, it can be work. The concept is addiction. Mm-hmm. So people are typically more prone to, say, anxiety. The experience is anxiety, and then whatever it takes to relieve the anxiety then becomes what you're addicted to. 
Like I say, think, for example, I don't know if any of you have smoked. Oh, yeah, both. If you're a smoker, <laughs> you crave that cigarette, yeah. okay, because that reliefs the craving. So be aware that, that, that trauma creates addiction mm. and be aware that you are susceptible to that and that you are also maybe susceptible to, to enter into abusive, abusive relationships again because that's what you know. Mm. That's what you're familiar with. And if you're in that situation or if you are the person with a with a violent tendencies and, and throwing mm, and mm. Bla- slamming doors and banging things, no, okay, that's not actually okay. I've got a problem. Eh? Mm. I've, yeah, I've that, got to address this Because that leads me into my next part of the question, which uh, you're addressing now. Is, you know, for the victims, the telltale signs, um, anxiety and, and perhaps leading to addiction. But from a perpetrator side, how do we know? Because I know, Leon, when we chatted about bringing this topic to light, this is something mm. that, that you also mentioned you, you're you quite intrigued with. Yeah, so I was quite interested to know, Professor, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to bang a bit on this whole pandemic thing because I've heard of a few guys in, um, I would I would call them friends that would say that, they've never ever felt as aggravated as they've been since Mm. the lockdown and that sometimes they literally are pulling on their last bits of energy not to get physical not necessarily even towards a person just just getting physical to the point of aggression taking you know manifesting into actual action and they they kind of acknowledge they're already doing the right thing by seeing that those problems are there. I've experienced it once or twice during lockdown where I was so frustrated with so many different factors of it that I would easily want to just, I don't know, throw a chair through the roof or something. And And those are, you know, I would say entry drugs almost to worst scenario, worst scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know what the question will be, but is it is is that firstly is that normal, and then what do you do when you're in that situation? How do you remove yourself from something that's irremovable, like lockdown? Well, well, the frustration and and you know, it's understandable under the circumstances of COVID. Mm. You know, it, it's been nobody saw it coming. I mean, if you look at the global risk report, it wasn't even predicted that a disaster such as this could strike the mm. world. Uh, these were most unusual circumstances, which just made it worse mm. for um, perpetrators and victims of, of gender-based violence because there's no out. There was no outlet to, to let it go. So, you know, um, it, it would have worsened it. Mm, mm. Uh, the, the normal frustration level that people have felt would only have made the gender-based violence worse. And like I said, remember, a lot of it is not just physical. Mm. So maybe screaming at uh, the the children or shouting mm. and and being psychologically abusive. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and, I mean that yeah, all of that would have would have been a lot worse mm. because you know containment is is not healthy for anybody. Mm, mm. Um, so so it's only understandable that it got far worse. Um, um, but I think at the same time it highlighted how bad it was. I don't think people realize. Mm. Uh, if you look around you, every it's it, it's it's hidden, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's invisible. It, it, is, uh, it is. It's not reported, so nobody knows other people's business. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's stigmatized. They're too embarrassed. The family doesn't want to know about it. They say sort out your own stuff. Mm. People feel okay. Well, it's private. It's not something to discuss at work. So it's 
is perpetuated through the silence, this the stigma, the uncomfortableness of it, um, so that people don't know what to recognize as unacceptable behavior. Yeah, so so it's almost like the pandemic sort of might have actually brought a lot of the underlying sort of hidden um, gender-based violence to light when when they were yeah. placed in in isolation with with one another, and and I think that's quite scary. So of course, I think to a massive extent, those numbers would have increased over over the mm. pandemic. One of the interesting things that I do want to check with you, because a lot of the statistics that we that we talked around with um, during our discussion now was with South African based, but do you have any sort of insights on a global level um, as to what the numbers are looking like or the one out of three is sort of a universal global um, number there? It's universal. And let me give you an, give you an idea. The cost of gender-based violence was estimated in 2014 to be between 24 and 42, no, 28 and 42 billion wow. rand a year for cost. Sure. And that was a very conservative estimate because it didn't take into account the limitations to women's career progress, their loss of income mm. for, you know, the time they've, they've lost that they couldn't progress and advance themselves. Mm. So it didn't, mm. but, but that was a rough figure. Okay. So more or less, they say 1.3% of GDP. Wow. Globally, that number was estimated in 2016 to be $1.5 trillion. Sure. Wow. For the cost to the global economy. Um, so th- there's a tremendous impact um, that society doesn't realize is feeling because the employers don't see the impact on productivity. They don't see that absenteeism could be that people are not really ill, mm. um, that it's other circumstances. Um, you know, so, so globally, this is, this is very problematic. If you look at the reports, for example, that the UK release every year about the prevalence, I mean, that's first world country. Yeah. And every other country, you've got a few smaller countries who feature at the top of the World Happiness Index where you find less of that. Mm. You'll also find in a country such as Canada, for example, they did a a, a five-year research project between universities and the private sector where they delved into their situations with violence and they got it written into the Occupational Health and Safety Act. Mm. It's now compulsory for private sector organizations to address gender-based violence in the workplace. It's it's an employee program. It's just compulsory. That's brilliant. So ideally, I mean, if one could get there, you could you could look at reducing mm. numbers. But like I say, our problem is we don't even know the numbers. Mm. They're estimates. Mm. Because people still feel that they can't talk. So unless we create environments where people are educated about what gender-based violence is, mm. that you get it as from the from child abuse. Mm. I don't think people understand the scope of child abuse. Think about it. If we've got such a high divorce rate, how many children grow up in a healthy home with mommy and daddy mm. loving each other and picket fence yeah. and all of that. How, ma- how much of that do you get? And it's almost like a vicious cycle then, isn't it? Yeah, so, so what is normal? Where do, where do we set the parameters now for what is normal? What is a normal upbringing? Mm. I mean, if you, if you look at, you know, people really are, are out of touch with, with what goes on. We know the most common form is intimate partner violence, mm. which is in relationships, which is abusive, physically, sexually, emotionally, all of that. But the darker side 
where you see little children, babies, five-year-olds, three-year-olds, seven-year-olds, being groomed and raped. Mm. That, that is so prevalent that, that that is where society is a little bit oblivious to the extent that they don't realize it's the uncles, the fathers, the stepfathers, the cousins, mm. that they trust little children with people, that, that our society needs a wake-up call. Because if you can imagine a child who's just being used to verbal abuse or even hidings or spankings, mm. you know, it's one kind of violence. But what do you think the odds are for children who are raped yeah. to ever have normal, typical, happy, fulfilled lives? Unlikely, yeah. It's very unlikely. Then let's talk about another version of gender-based violence that's totally unspoken about. Male rape, mm. boys, boys being raped. There was a study done several years ago that there was, they found that there was a number up to about 400,000 boys mm. that's being raped and even less annually, less reported because, again, it's peers, school teachers, uh, relatives, again, that, that that phenomenon of male rape is totally unreported wow we saw a touch of it where the parktown boys high issue. is there a trend there where it's boys being raped by males or yes yes, okay. yes. look the, the the boys males being raped by females occur but that's very mm. odd it's a it's but but male rape by by men is is common sure that's, that's horrific. That's Not as common as women, but common enough. I mean, if you're looking at nearly half a million, um, it, it's, it's, it's quite number. Professor, that is really, really scary, I think, first and foremost, and very insightful. Um, I think it's, it's one of those very uncomfortable topics that people don't necessarily like to even try and research. And I think a lot of people want to sort of just... We all want to be blind turn to a blind, Yeah, mm. turn a blind eye to it because there's, we feel powerless against it. So where would you say is, you know, where do we start with, with trying to change humankind or you know, trying to address this betterment of humankind? It starts with awareness? We start with education. We start with education and raising awareness mm. of what constitutes acceptable and unacceptable behavior. Let's educate people. What do healthy relationships look like? Mm. What is, what is uh, typical experiences when you have been a victim of gender-based violence in your childhood? What are you expecting? Mm. What kind of things can be wrong in your mm. mind? Where, do you, where could you have formed the wrong ideas? Um, how do you cope with the emotions that come from it? Mm. How do you um, get to a point of being your own therapist, discovering your own emotions and come to terms and engage about it? How do you find support groups to communicate with? That would be a good space to, to say, okay, well, we're so technologically mm. advanced. We've got all of these social media mm. platforms. There are support groups where you can join online. Mm. Um, you know, you, you, you can be as anonymous as you want, but the idea is to say, okay, well, if I've been damaged, I'm likely to do damage because that is what my brain knows. And how, and how do you think we're going to deliver that, that sort of awareness or that education? Are we starting at the workplaces? Are we starting in schools? I know that you're, you're busy with a study as well, and we'll touch a little bit more on that in the tip section or the tool section, but tell us a little bit more about where, where exactly would you see is the point where we can distribute this sort of 
uh, information to no, create to this a, awareness. To get a larger impact, I think, so that it's not yeah. so one-on-one people trying to solve it on their own, but to maybe bring it on radar Absolutely. so that it's, I don't know, I, I like the idea that you mentioned earlier about some workplaces introducing mm. awareness inside the workplace because... Yeah, that's what my research is busy with that. Mm. But I think what's important is is for for your listeners to 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 reflect and say, okay, uh, where am I yeah. in, in this big thing? You know, what has been my experience? What do I know about it? And and what do I need to know? Because we need to in, in, in arm ourselves with knowledge mm. and say, okay, well, if these were my experiences, let me do a little bit of homework. There, there's so many resources online available. I mean, for example, this the study done in Canada, there's a website called Learn to End Abuse, all one word. Mm. Learn to end abuse, you know, um, and you'll find it. If you just look for it, you'll find it. And there's so many people who are prepared to tell their stories and share their stories. Are these studies mostly victim-centric? Are there anything that if you're a violent person and you are um, perpetrating violence upon upon your kids and your spouse, but you've come to the realization that you maybe have some illness or sickness and you want to deal with it, are there any help for... <laughs> the the you know the odd one out here the guy that might be sitting here saying listen I am that one in three I'm that guy doing you know the nasty stuff to my my loved ones and I want to figure out what I can do to fix it or do you think they usually can't be fixed it depends on what you want to fix if you are an abusive person and you acknowledge and you realize oh my word I've got this uncontrollable anger or I I I don't know how to communicate in a certain mm. way that you can fix. Mm. But I, I, I also I've heard, I haven't seen, but I've heard that um, there are counseling for perpetrators of, of child rape, mm. pedophiles. But from, from what I know, it's been very little success in terms of rehabilitating pedophiles, mm. for example. Mm. But I'm not saying that's impossible. Mm. I mean, I've, I've heard someone say that if you are violent and you've realized the fact that you are violent and you've got a sincere, um, you know, you've got a sincere need to try and fix it, the best way for you to fix it is to actually cut those people loose and let them go uh, so that they can get away from you because the likelihood of you do you think that's bad advice? It sounds very uh, like one-sided, but it kind of makes sense. Well, but think about this. Abuse takes place over a long time, okay? So mm. say, for example, it would be a, pers- a person's childhood that they experience. How can you undo that? You can't go and see yeah. a psychologist for six sessions and there you go. Yeah, you know? true. There, there's got to be a longer-term program mm. and there's got to be a solution and there's got to be a safe space. You know that yeah. that people can can say can help me understand me, mm. help me understand my anger. Let's let's educate. Look, and 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 I guess I guess with with the internet playing a big role and technology and communications um, being way more effective now, we've got reach all over the globe. It becomes a little bit easier to open up about these things yeah. and and start sharing stories with one another. Uh, talking to others, yeah, just, building I a think community. Women rights in general has leapt has leapt forward yeah. over the last couple of decades, or maybe two, yeah, last two decades at least. 
Yeah. Um, oh, but I think, you know, I, I've got a lot of hope for your generation. You know, you're the talking generation. You've got higher expectations. Mm. You're more open. I mean, even even if there's been, been damage and, and trauma during childhood, I think you've got the opportunity to speak mm. out about it much sooner yes. and to say, hey, okay, this has happened in my childhood. Oh, hell. So it's mm. likely that I'm going to have to deal with X, Y, and Z. Let me anticipate that. Yes. Let mm. me not mm. wait until my subconscious mind takes over and goes backwards. Let me reverse that while I'm conscious that I can do it and say, okay, let me engage. Let me join a, 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 a group of people where we are talking about these topics. Mm. Go online. You can join groups overseas. You can participate in conversations. You can yeah. say, okay, so what is an action plan? Where's my checklist? When do I know I'm moving into a dangerous emotional state? Mm. What are my warning signs for myself? If I get there, what do I do? Who is my uh, a backup friend that I can call yeah. and say, oh, I'm about now to lose it. Um, j- call in, you know, do whatever needs to be done to overcome it. I mean, yeah. we're not defeatists. Mm. We are conscious people understanding, learning and saying, okay, these are the facts. We are in this society. Mm. Most people have experienced some kind of abuse. What are we going to do to deal with it, to prevent it from just carrying on and on and on? I love that. We can stop it. I yeah. absolutely love that, Professor. And, and I think with that being said, Leon, um, let's move into the real life <laughs> for today. <laughs> Professor, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here with us today. Um, you touched on something extremely interesting there at the end, which is... You know, we have access to a bunch of communities. We are the generation who is most likely or more likely to speak out about these type of things. Now, one of the things that I do want to ask you as a tip in here, do you have any tips to share for someone who is currently sitting in a physically or sexually abusive relationship and, or situation that they, that they want to get out of? Yeah, I know that we've spoken about some of the telltale signs, self-assessment. Is there perhaps a tool? Where can they go and how do they identify themselves in those uh, seemingly you know, abusive situations? Well, depends on the range. Also, of course, if you're in an emergency situation, if you are being abused and you need help, I suggest you call Tears Help at Your Fingertips Helpline. Um, that is a service that's available 24 hours. It's a star, 134 star. 7355 hashtag that will give you an indication of where's your nearest police station or, or medical facility. That's awesome. You can also choose whether you want somebody to call you back the next day if you are in a threatening situation. So that's for emergency mm-hmm. um, that you, you, you consult Tears, Tears Foundation. Um, if you are in a relationship that you know is abusive um, and, and uh, I suggest you get out of that relationship um uh, if if it's not a person who is in a situation where they acknowledge that there's a problem it's not going to change so you can go to the police um uh, choose a police station obviously where you you also feel safe um you can also call um one of the the ngos such as 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 tears um also confide in a friend you know Find somebody that you can trust and speak to. And, and if you are not in a, in a situation of abuse, remember that you can be the friend that somebody can speak to. Mm, you must have empathy and understanding that a lot of people find themselves in situations mm. where they are vulnerable. Remember, the girls who grew up in a, in, a, in a family where they did not have a loving relationship with their fathers, 
are, are less likely to have confidence. Mm. So, so they are more likely to tolerate an abusive relationship because they are seeking approval. They want acceptance. Yeah. They want to, to have a relationship and they don't realize, but they deserve more. Mm. So if you are finding yourself in an abusive relationship, um, I think you, you need to look at yourself and say, but I deserve better than this. I don't deserve to be treated yeah. like this. Absolutely. And, then, and there must be a way for me to get out of this because I do deserve better. And if you're a young person, mm. get out as soon as possible. Mm. You can never get out of an abusive relationship too quickly. Yeah. And it's and it's almost, it's, it's almost like you can't. Um, do you find that people try and fix? And I know I'm I'm, th I'm bombarding you with questions here because I'm so intrigued sure. with this topic. Do you think that people um, sometimes feel that they can change the situation when they're caught up in these abusive um, relationships? They think that it will change. Mm. I mean, I married the guy. Yeah. Mm. So I thought he's going to change. Mm. They're not going to change. Also, remember. Little girls are brought up to dream of their wedding, man. Mm. They dream of the wedding and they're going to wear the nice dress and there's going to be flowers and bridesmaids and the beautiful ceremony and all of that. Mm. But that's not what you're getting. You're getting a marriage. Mm. Yeah. You're preparing yourself for a wedding and you end up with a marriage. And you end up constantly trying to, to fix the situation or trying to fix you the end up person. in a marriage. Yeah. It, it, it's not about the wedding. It's about the marriage. Mm. So young people should not try and get married and settle down and you know Absolutely. play a house. It's not it it it's it's not what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And looking past You've got that. to think about is this a life partner? Yeah. Is is this a healthy relationship? Because if it's not a healthy relationship now, it's not gonna become one without therapy. And that's not if both parties don't commit to therapy. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely love and if that. If that's really your soulmate, then you're gonna do it. But if you've got problems now and you're not both going to therapy, leave. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. absolutely love that. Leon, anything from anything from your side, perhaps? Yeah, I was I was gonna ask. I've got a question with regards to if you are a friend of someone that you suspect are getting abused by his or her spouse. What what would you do if you you know you don't want to step on anyone's toes? You don't want to put your nose like. That's a very sticky one. I'm sure there are some guys and girls out there that knows about too much, maybe. And what do you suggest they do about it? Well, firstly, if you are a friend of a, of a friend who you suspect is an abuser, or if you are in company and you can see behavior that is unacceptable, mm. the way a guy treats his girlfriend or whatever, you have to speak out about that. Yeah. But to say, hey, even if guys, if you one of the guys... And they are making sexist and condescending jokes. You're going to say, hey, guys, I mean, that's actually not funny, mm. eh? Yeah, that starts with, it starts with the little things, yeah. It starts with the little things, mm. you know. The way they talk about women. Yeah. You know? You know, when Very they look true. girls up and down and they wolf whistle and they call them bits or, you know. Bennets mm. and bits. You know, I've got to start changing and say oh you know that's not so okay i mean it's like it's like you kind of have to nip it in the bud and say that you, you got know, to nip let's, it in the let's, bud. let's figure this out and let's stop this and let's sort of you practice this as a habit so that it becomes part of our characters or our characteristics yeah. mm. and then we can impart that on others and and involve those closest in our closest social circles and i think if every single person in their own right and their own social circle or close social circle even family circles start 
looking inward as opposed mm. to looking outward um, and addressing those little things that you might have picked up from friends and, and, and family members in the past and, you know, in your younger years um, and addressing those things, looking inward first and foremost to change yourself, to fix yourself, even though you're not an abuser or even though you're not um, being abused currently, um, mm. making sure that you understand and you've created some awareness for yourself, but looking inward and saying, I'm going to change who I am. I'm going to make that a habit. I'm going to make that uh, your part of my character. And, and naturally, I will start influencing those closest to me. If we can each and every single one of our um, your listeners can do that, I think, or not just even our listeners, each and every single person in this world can do that, then I think overall we'll start making a massive, massive difference. Okay, let, okay so if you... If, if you know a person who you suspect is a victim of gender-based violence, the, the most important thing is, is unconditional love and support. Mm. Mm. It's to say, hey, you know, if you need me for whatever, I'm here, you know. Mm. Mm. Not, not implying that, that, there's, that the person is mentally retarded for being in an abusive relationship. Mm. You know, that's, that's not, that doesn't help. Mm. You know, uh, and, and also don't, don't be treat a person like that as if, you know, you've got pity. Mm. Just just, just say, hey, I'm your friend. Yeah. I'm your friend. Whenever you need to talk, please know that I'm here. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I'm here to listen. I'm not here to judge. I'm, I'm here to listen. That's good advice. So judgment doesn't work in a situation like that. You, you rather alienate people by judging mm. because you need to understand where that person is coming from. A person who tolerates abuse has often got self-esteem issues. Mm. They feel they deserve Definitely. the way they're being treated. Yeah. They, they, they don't feel that they're entitled to more. So it's a much deeper issue than the abuse mm. itself. It's that person's self-worth. Mm. So the best thing you can do is build a person's self-worth, not tackle it, you know, to break it down further. That actually makes sense. If you build that person's self-worth up from where the bottom of, you know, the lowest of lows that it is, that person might find the courage him or herself to then, to then get the strength to get out and they'll know that you'll be there for them. Correct. I also suggest that when we have the, the matter topic that, that, that comes up, bring it up in your social circles. Mm, mm. Talk about this. Say, you know what? I read this. This is what's happening in South Africa. These were the statistics released. Mm. There's a current study. I'm doing the study in the private sector. I'm engaging with CEOs of some of the leading companies in South Africa about how they um, perceive this national strategic mm. plan. What are their awareness of gender-based violence? What do they think their employees need and what want and expect? And, and how will they implement it in their strategy going forward? Mm. And then there's also an employee perception study. There's a survey that we've I've created, the survey, and it's an instrument that's out there at the moment. It's on my LinkedIn page. It's a survey monkey instrument. It takes Less than 10 minutes to complete. It's no personal information. It's anonymous. It asks the, the, the knowledge and, and thoughts of employees in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And I really need as many South Africans to complete it as possible that we can prepare a comprehensive report about what do South Africans know and what do they expect. Mm -hmm. That we can start somewhere and fix things. You know, it's time for us to say we are here to fix things now. Mm -hmm. 
we know we come from generations and we yeah. eat four times the world average and there's all these bad things about South Africans and but let's fix it. But now. but it's good. It's good. We need That's to awesome. we need to um, get passionate about this and yeah. and I totally agree with you because it's gone on for Make so long. Make it a dinner table topic. You know, yep. make sure. Make it a dinner table topic. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's say, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to change minds? How are we going to change stereotypes? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How? Absolutely. We can because we can. We actually can because it's all up to us. Yes. This is, we make of our lives what we want. We don't have to listen to what other people say that we should think or we should behave. We don't have to tolerate And I these. think for, for, for some of us as young parents, um, I think the most important thing for us is to obviously set examples for our kids. So yeah. apart from doing some bad things it's ourselves, just be real, eh? we also it's just be be real, yeah. you know. Say say, oops, watch yourself. Mm, mm. If you find that you behave in a way that you think, oops, mm. go back. Say, oh, I don't think that was so great, eh? Let me try again. Yeah, I've actually done that. Well, I'll, I'll sit the kids down and I'll tell them that wasn't nice from daddy, and I apologize. <laughs> you know, yeah. just so that they don't get into that yeah. groove. It's like it's it's like the frog in the in the pot, you know, with the water that we always talk about. If you you know, if if you make them slowly but surely used to that's the norm, then that's gonna be the norm for them. Um but if you can immediately just nip it in the bud and um fix every issue as and when they arise, then they wouldn't ever it won't snowball into one massive, you know, I don't want to say screwed up kid, but for lack of a better word, you know, mm. another perpetrator one day that's going to be abusive. You know, I would just advise openness. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Open communication, especially in your in your family. In your family, mm. just be real, you know. Let let's just cheat our children. This is acceptable, this is unacceptable. You know, okay, I, I'm not a perfect person. Um, I, I do this, but let's try harder. Yeah. Um, just, just be conscious of the impact. I mean, you know, like educate young parents. If considering that few people grow up in healthy family environments with happily married parents and mm. all of that, say, okay, well, we don't know because we haven't been led by a good example. So let's find information. Mm. Look, read up on the influence of domestic violence on children. There's a whole list of stats. The impact on their ability to concentrate, yeah. their ability to learn, the ability to establish relationships, the ability to f excel mm -hmm. physically. Just look at the impact yeah. on me for messing it up. No, Professor, like I, I totally agree with you on on that because you know, it all starts with awareness. Once once we understand that there is a problem to address, and once we understand what to look out for. Um, we'll start seeing those signs in in those closest to us. We'll start seeing those signs in our own lives, in the relationships that we enter on an ongoing basis. And maybe the we'll we'll start reevaluating the relationships that we're currently in. Um, so absolutely, absolutely, so insightful. Really, really enjoyed having you on the episode, Professor Davis. We'll definitely mm. bring you back for for a ton of follow-up questions. Um, I definitely am not done talking to you. I'm sure Leon hasn't either. <laughs> I think what we need to talk about next mm. is the concept of well-being, that, that, that there's a journey to recover yeah. from abuse. Absolutely. And how do we get? There are certain steps that we can take, and I know because I've done it for myself personally, because I had to recover from my childhood. And it took me a very long time. Mm. And I think that I can help a lot of young people out yeah. there that doesn't have to take them a long time. Mm. Like, mm. let's do this fast track and get to well-being and recovery sooner rather than later. 
then leave it yeah. and not attend to it and then have to deal with it in a midlife crisis somewhere. Let's do it now. Let's get it out of the way. Let's get to recovery. Yep. Let's heal. I love that. Let's say this is the reality. Let's fix it. Let's make the world a better place because we can. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. I think that's a great idea. We'll definitely bring you back for a follow-up session and we'll touch on that because it is important. I think if we had to quickly just summarize some of the the, the key facts that you've just mentioned in, in our tip section here, you mentioned the Tears Foundation um, you know, in case of an emergency, if someone is sitting in an emergency situation, there is a number that they can dial. This is, of course, um, in South Africa specifically. If you can just repeat that number for us once again. It's star 134 star 7355 hash. There you guys have it. So we'll definitely be able to link that for you guys in the show notes so you can refer back to that. Um, again, if you're in a situation that is seemingly escalating day by day, week after week, month after month, and you feel that your life is threatened, uh, go to the police station, visit a police station that is safest, that you feel you're safe with visiting. Um, speak to a friend, interact with communities, speak out about these things, because the more you bottle it up, I think the more uh, damage gets done and the, the longer the road is going to be to recovery if you even do make it you know, to, to the end of the road where you get out of that situation. Mm. And I think the most important thing that you mentioned, uh, Professor, was you know, the fact that it starts with awareness. And, and we have to start with this awareness in businesses. We have to start with this awareness in our own lives uh, applying this to our own looking inward, as well as you know, looking outward, looking in our closest friends circles, making sure that we we nip those things in the bud, the the sort of habits that have formed in those groups, the way that they talk to um, you know the opposite sex or address them, and and all of these things. So touching on that, and as maybe a closing remark, um, you mentioned that there is an employee perception study that you're currently busy with. And we will be sharing that with you guys in the show notes as well. So please support Professor Davis here in, in getting as much of those, as much of the research information completed in those, in that specific study. It's only going to take you, what, um, 10, 15 minutes? 10 minutes, 10 minutes, less than 10 minutes. Just complete the survey. Marnu, share the link. Share the link. It's Survey Monkey. It's easy to do. Just do it. Let's hear what South Africans are saying. If you don't say anything, you're saying nothing. Absolutely. And nothing is not going to solve the story. We need you to say something. 100%. It's been an absolute pleasure, Professor Davis, having you on the show. We'll definitely bring you back. Thank you guys in the audience for listening. If you want to find out more about Professor Davis here and you want to read up more about her studies, Professor, where can they go and find out more about you? Uh, you can just Google my name, Professor Cornet Davis. I'm on the UJ page. I've got a Google Scholar page. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Absolutely. So there you guys have it. Everything about gender-based and domestic violence, especially touching on it from the pandemic and the impact that the pandemic has had on it. It's been an absolute pleasure. This is me signing off from Mono. You're joined by Leon, as usual. What a pleasure. Thank you so much, Professor Davis. Insightful. Lovely being here. Awesome. Let's do this again. Yes, 100%. Stay safe out there, guys. Bye. Bye. What's up, guys and girls? If you've derived some great value from our show thus far, please take a second to rate and review us on the platform that you're tuned in on. This will really help us to grow the show and reach more and more people to spread the positivity and change more and more lives. 
So it will literally just take you a second to rate and review us and who knows, perhaps you could directly be responsible for changing someone's life today. We look forward to seeing you guys in the next one. Until then, cheers.